Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Sell Better Daily Sales Show. It is 2024. Uh, so happy new year to everybody. Go ahead, change your chat settings down to everyone on the bottom right-hand side and let us know where you are tuning in from this year in the chat. Uh, we like to travel. We see a lot of places. We meet a lot of people. Uh, shout out, Jessica. Thank you for a happy new year. Sacramento, California. Austin, Texas in the house. I know you represent Toronto. Our Canadians, man. Y'all represent every single day. Denver, baby, the mile high city. New York City. Reach out to Benny when he gets back from California. Miami, Florida, my hometown. Shout out to Budapest. It is Budapest, by the way. Pakistan, New Jersey. I hear you got a deer problem. I'm on my way. <laughs> if you're international, throw your country in there. I love our international stuff, man. Y'all show out in force internationally. Shout out to Dallas, Texas. All right, let's get started. I've launched a question here. This is kind of where we kick things off. We just want to know, what are you? Are you an SDR, a manager, a leader of some kind? This is kind of how we tailor the conversation somewhat as best we can to the folks that are in the room. You're here to learn a little bit about deliverability and what's changed in 2024. We're kicking off a new year, lots of stuff happening. My man in the room, Jed Marley of Practical Prospecting. If y'all are not subscribed to Jed's newsletter, go do it now. You will learn so much from this young man. And shout out to Benny Rubin. First time on the show, founder and CEO of Senders. What's going on, Benny? Hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello, world. Yes. <laughs> Hello, world. We are live. We're top, the top of the year. Can you believe it? 2024, all even numbers. What's Yo, they they cut 2020. Best turn in the game. How's it go? <laughs> 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 all right, let me not be the theme. That should not be the theme for the year. <laughs> let me give a big shout out to our newest partner, Exactly, coming on board. We appreciate all of our sponsors coming on the best products, people, and services in the world presented to you right here at Sell Better. And speaking of the best people in the world, I want to give a big shout out to Gong, our longtime partner. And we are going to give you something that you should probably be thinking about, and it's forecasting. This is going to help you, Gong's forecast will help you to pinpoint the number so that you can find that revenue operating rhythm that you need. Forecasting a big problem for salespeople right now, so you got to get accurate at it. When you sit down with a one-on-one, -on -one, you don't want to guess, you want to know. And this forecasting tool is going to help you do it. So we're dropping this in the chat so that you can get it right now. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Go scan this QR code and check out our website. I'm not going to waste your time telling you about it. You're going to learn when you go to the website. While you're there, go hop over to YouTube and explore our channel. This is where you're going to get highlights from the show, tactical takeaways, stuff that you can do right now. I'm feeling pretty hyped today, guys. I don't know if y'all are feeling my energy right now, but what's popping? Let's make this magic. Here's what you're going to get today. Quick, we're going to talk about what Google's new sender stuff means to you, the front lines, the people sending cold emails. Then we're going to talk about deliverability so that you can realize that there's a strategy that you can employ to improve that deliverability. We might even give you a few new terms you've never heard of today. Email deliverability data. If you're not collecting data and having a scientific approach to this stuff, you're probably going to struggle. Let's take a look at who's in the room. Not too surprising. Most people sending cold emails are SDRs. But look at the AEs. 25% of AEs are sending cold emails at this point. And I think that's because they're probably responsible for a certain percentage of their pipeline. That's something I hear quite a bit. Uh, all right, let's get started with a quick breakdown of what it means, the Google bulk sender requirements. Mm. Benny, in a few words, yeah. tell, me, tell me a little bit about what this means for the front lines. Well, guys, right when you think that everything's going to be the same as it was yesterday, Google comes in, makes changes. 
But it, this is a sort of a long, a long-standing thing with Google. Google really, really, really doesn't like spam. They don't like scammers. They don't like spoofers. They don't like people pretending to be someone else in emails. Almost, I would say, ninety-nine point nine nine percent of the people listening to this call are legitimate business senders. So, at the end of the day, you probably won't have a problem with any new rules that Google puts up because Google's actually not trying to punish you. I would say the number one things you have to think and worry about are what is the percentage of emails that Gmail users are putting in the spam. You know, say, hey, look, I don't send to Gmail users. I'm a business sender. I only send to businesses. That's the case. The rules don't technically apply to you. Where they do apply is if you are a SaaS company and you are doing a product-led growth strategy. That means you get people into a free trial, your free trial SaaS. A lot of people sign up for things with their gmail.com address to kind of check it out. In that case, you do really have to care. Google could start to yeah. punish your deliverability. So there's new rules around that. There's new rules around making sure that all the technical aspects of deliverability are on point. You can go to Google's website or Google around for the Google, 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 the things. Take that list of rules, forward it to your IT team and just ask, are we compliant? Oh, nice. Please, That's a please good help us. step. Are we compliant? That's because a great step that you can take as a frontline rep that yeah. will just set it off, right? Because you're getting your, your tech team involved is crucial. Jed, I want to give you the floor here. In a couple of words for the frontline reps, what do, what do you see when you look at these Google requirements about your flows? Uh, you're on mute, Jeff. Whoops. Sorry about that. Um, hashtag you're muted. I want to double... I had to cough and then I muted earlier. So. I know it's Jeff. Oh, first time I've Zoom, so it's... <laughs> um, I do. So like, I want to double down on what Betty said, because there was like a, a big scare for a while when everyone was seeing like the 5,000 email requirement and then like you're going to go and spam if you get uh, marked as spam a certain amount of times. Um, so I do want to double down, like if you're an SDR at A listening to this, again, that's only if you send a Gmail addresses. I assume that 60% of A's and SDRs are on this call. You guys are messaging Gmails. And so I think the biggest thing to still understand is that this is still a sign that Google and all the other email service providers are trying to make sure that spam gets out of the platform. There's billions and billions and billions of more emails being sent every single year. People, more people are doing outbound. There's more startups. There's more like there's just higher volume across the board, not just email. And so, like my biggest advice would be to slow down if you're an SDR and a get more focused on who the best people in your target market or in your territory are to reach out to, and focus more on the messaging. And I know that might seem kind of vague, but um, to kind of drill down even further. Uh, Focus on the things that are within your control. Obviously, send, uh, you know, get the technical requirements out of the way, which your IT team can take care of. But, you know, make sure that you're not just blasting out emails one by one. Make sure that they're spread out across. So if you're using a sequence, uh, like a sequencing tool, you can spread out your email volume to where it doesn't just send minute after minute. You can have it send like every 10, 15, 20 minutes. All you're trying to do is make yourself look more natural. Um, there's a few other things as well. I think another big one uh, last year, it was really popular to, not have an unsubscribe link or just say like, hey, if you don't want to receive emails from me anymore, just let me know and I'll stop. Respond with no thanks. Yeah, respond to no thanks. Um, people started getting tricky with that. Uh, if somebody can't find an unsubscribe link, they're going to block your email and that's far worse than them clicking on an unsubscribe link and just getting out of your system. So I would just for sure have a clear unsubscribe link in your emails. There's a lot of things that we'll continue to go through, but those are a couple of the ones that, top, uh, that come top of my gyms. Good way to kick stuff off, you guys. We got a lot of good stuff coming your way. Benny, I want to talk about this because a lot of the folks in the room are SDRs and AEs and sending a ton of cold emails these days, or at least what they think is a ton. Everyone's complaining about 
low reply rates and no traction, but maybe mm. deliverability might be the key to it all. So talk to me about how they arm themselves with the knowledge to kick this stuff off. Got it. So guys, off we, so my company, we deal with deliverability. We, we handle it for dozens and dozens of companies full time. We do it for companies that send a lot of emails, a little emails, and I'm going to define what I mean by that. We have clients that send 4,000 plus emails a day with no issue because we have a lot of mechanisms in place to make sure that they can stay healthy with things. Now, keep in mind, if you're the type of org that's trying to send that kind of volume, you may actually have a problem. Um, the problems also crop up at lower volume too. So I can touch a little bit about that. If you're seeing dramatic swings in any of your data, we can't really trust open rates. Everyone talks about that. It's, it's pretty true because there's a lot of mechanisms that mess with your open rate. But if you were getting 60 and now it's 30 or it's trending down, 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 you might actually have an email deliverability problem. And email deliverability problems are technical problems. Usually later in the presentation, we're, we're going to talk about that, right? We're going to talk about technical versus non-technical, all this stuff. Keep an eye on your numbers. Just make a habit of looking at them every day. Where do I tend to trend? And then talk to your colleagues. Hey, where are you? Where do you tend to trend? Wild differences and changes sometimes mean that something is afoot. Mm. Basically, that's where it goes. Now, if you start now with talking to your leaders about where your numbers are, then it's less of a surprise later when things change. Yeah. So I would recommend keeping track of these things on your own and understanding the way that these things shift over time and the way they vary between your different target market. For example, if you're emailing into healthcare, you might have really r relatively low open rates all the time. If they get even lower, you have a problem. Does that make sense? It does, actually. And when I think about healthcare, I think about the expectation here. If I'm in healthcare, I'm probably helping a lot of patients throughout my day. If, you, if you're in medical, you're probably helping a lot of patients throughout your day. You're not even looking at your inbox at two o'clock in the afternoon. You're like in surgery or helping somebody to deal with a health crisis, right? So people have to have the right expectations and be looking yeah. at these numbers to see the, the swings. Uh, you might go to yeah. bed that night, wake up with a much higher open rate than you went to bed with. Jed, uh, let's give people some numbers, some baselines for measuring success that actually make sense. You mentioned uh, open rate between 20 and 30%. How is that relevant? What does that mean for people when it comes to deliverability? Yeah, I mean, Benny kind of touched on it that open rates, uh, they're not always super trustworthy. Um, and so I think like, a, but a good range, like if you're in that 20 to 30% open rate, um, you potentially have a deliverability problem. Uh, if you've already tweaked with the subject line, um, the data in terms of the people you're actually sending to in that preview line, because those are the other things that kind of impact sub uh, open rates. And so if you're in that 20 to 30% range, you should probably look into some of the technical stuff to see if you have those issues. Additionally, bounce rates. Um, I think bounce rates is a big thing that I often see people don't look at too often. And I, I commonly see bounce rates in the range of like 10 to 20%. If you think about it, if you have more emails that are bouncing than you are getting replies, like if your bounce rate's like 20% and your reply rate's like 2%, just me personally, or if you're thinking about it, how do you think Google sees you as a reputable sender? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're getting all these bounces and hardly any replies. And so I think managing your bounce rates is another big one. Uh, using some sort of like email validation or just being more careful when you're pulling data. And then also keeping track of your reply rates as well. And, and that's like the biggest thing is if you're actually getting positive engagement and getting a decent number of replies, um, that has a huge impact on your email reputation score. Yeah. And so oftentimes the solution is to slow your volume down until you're getting in that range of three to 5% plus reply rates and then slowly scale it up to where that 
that percentage of three to five percent reply rates continues to stay the same so that you're getting a positive engagement. Yeah, I love this because yeah. go ahead, Benny. I was just gonna jump in and say that my company, because we have such a wide view of email and response rates, we've seen people run extremely successful campaigns. And I bet a lot of the people listening with 0.1.2% interested reply rates or you know, one percent reply rates. And it really matters the size of your TAM and all these different mechanisms come to play. So don't get too hung up on uh, comparing yourself to numbers and industries and other things that just don't really matter. And a lot of people, they don't lie about their numbers, but they sort of cherry pick the best ones. So it's really important for everyone to to kind of look holistically, talk to their VPs, if they're a VP, talk to their CEOs, whatever, run the numbers backwards and try to figure out if your numbers are even in a place that you can succeed with your pipeline. Yeah. That's, that often has more important. And then what I would say to piggyback on the jet set, don't scale up if the, if the numbers don't make sense. You know what I mean? There's a lot of value there. I want to I ask this question here for everybody because we're talking about the numbers here. And obviously there's a scientific approach to everything that we do in the modern selling age. Do you consider yourself a scientific seller? And if you don't know what that means, it's totally fine. By the end of this show, I guarantee you're going to have a general idea of what it, what it means to collect data and make informed decisions. I want to pivot. Because, Benny, you said something when we were prepping for this. You said that we often have to advocate for product. And I don't think that salespeople even realize that they do this and how it impacts their their sendability, their deliverability. Like, talk to yeah. me about advocating for product. Yeah, so I have a lot of respect for the frontline sellers, the people who are actually crafting the emails and sending them, because my team has always been right at that point. How do you get someone in your emailing to say, sure, I'll, I'll take that call. Sure, I'll get more info. Nine times out of 10, it really isn't what the VP of sales, unless they were in your shoes or the CEO or the founder or whatever has sort of topped down to you. Oftentimes the frontline folks go, you know, we really are not up to par in this one area, or this is the hottest thing that everyone's interested in, but that's the weakest part of our product. And it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of effort to start to experiment with bringing that into your emails maybe even against what your VPs and other folks say and uh, or bringing that to the fore in your calls. But at the end of the day, if you do notice something that could convert really well over email or over telephone or whatever, bring that to the team and say, hey, this is resonating messaging wise. Let's make it really resonate with the demos and the product. Maybe there's two or three other features you can add to this one thing to really bulk it up. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about relevancy anyway. And the reason why email deliverability suffers is because all the sending ratios, positive versus negative, it's get out of whack. And if someone's got a hot product, I almost said a customer, but I don't know what, uh, you know, if that's appropriate here. You have a hot SH word product, you'll notice your reply rates, your interest reply rates are through the roof and everyone's happy and, you know, leads are raining down from the sky. And if it's yeah. not hot, it's hard. So the question is, how can you, as uh, wherever you are inside your company, work together to make your product hotter? And some, so that mm-hmm. some really some really interesting perspectives that you offer there, uh, especially about the not hot product. I hear a lot about how unsexy topics can be sometimes challenging to get people engaged. Right, uh, the same thing happens when we're out there selling something that's less attractive. I know a lot of salespeople that sell financial solutions, and if you're not a math person, selling financial solutions can be really challenging. And if you're selling to people that are not math people, and you sell financial stuff, man, that's that's a recipe for disaster. Jed, you and I, we, we go back a ways and I always expect great actionable insights from you, dude. Uh, when you are thinking about the front lines and how they can better 
use this information as better advocates. What does that mean to you when you think about good de deliverability best practices? Um, in terms of like the advocating for better product and that sort of thing. Yeah, like uh, you know, like you mentioned the appropriate record setup or warming tools, right? Like these are all things that are out there and available to people that maybe they don't know a lot about. Yeah, totally. So I mean, I think warming tools are a big one, and I think if you're at like a smaller startup, this is what I did even a couple of years ago when I was with PandaDoc. Um, it, it's not hard to actually go purchase, and some of them are are like extremely cheap, like warm up tools connected to your account, and it's a really good start to start improving your deliverability because it'll give you two things. One, it'll start to increase the positive engagement rate on your emails because essentially what warm-up tools do is they connect your email, they send emails on your behalf, and then they respond to those emails. And so what's that, what that's showing Google and Yahoo and all the other email service providers is that you're getting more and more engagement. And so they trust you more. And as a result, your deliverability is better. But the second thing that it gives you is actual data on how many of those warm-up tools are going to spam versus not. And that's the tricky thing about deliverability. And we got a question from Rocky here that kind of ties into this, which he asked, why would the 30% open rate be indicative of a deliverability issue? It, that's just a range, right? Like go, there's tons of data from like, oh, for example, sales law of an, of an issue. If you go way below yeah. that, then it's probably, Jed thinks that 30% is a healthy open rate or, across the board. Just to be yeah. yeah, so, yeah, so I guess what I'm, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that there's tons of data, depending on if you sell to enterprise, SMB, whatever market you sell into. Yeah. Go look at like the reports from Salesloft, Gong, Outreach. They have tons of data on that. Go look at those reports, see how your numbers match up to theirs. And then uh, in terms of the, the, the problem with deliverability is that there's no like one way to say, oh, I have a deliverability problem or I don't have a deliverability problem. It's not like um, it's clear as day. Like you can go look at your credit score and see exactly what your credit score is. They don't have that for email reputation. So like warm-up tools, can give you some idea of what that reputation might be. So you can know if you have a problem and start working on some of the fixes. Got to know if there's a problem before you can start working towards a solution. We've talked about that multiple times. Benny, I have to pivot. It's a tr tricky one. Yeah, I, it is. And I think it's tricky because the perspective is different from whatever your role might be, whatever your outcomes that you're after might be, whatever your goals might be, right? That's why it looks a little bit different for every role. Uh, but you talked about how we can scientifically assess things. And I think a lot of sellers come into this and you guys know that we have, and let me know in the chat, like where's your, ultimately, where's your mind in the chat, type science. If you think sales is more of a science type art, if you think it's more of an art, I don't want to give you the option for both, because if I give you the option for both, that's what everybody's going to land on. So I'm curious what you think it's more of, right? The ratio is different in your mind somehow. Of course, we know it's a blend. Of course, we know that. Uh, Benny, talk to me about how we can scientifically approach your sure. year. So my team, we're like a, almost like a knee doctor or something. Folks come to us when they're, <laughs> they have a problem. Folks rarely come to us when they're just, they don't have a problem. So Those are great. <laughs> we, we tend to see a very particular pattern such as we used to get X numbers and now they're way worse. Yeah. So way worse with almost no variables changing that, that might be indicative of a real problem. And sometimes that problem could be a shift in the market. Sometimes it can be seasonality. Sometimes it can be all these things that are explainable. Oftentimes it's a technical thing. You dig into it, lo and behold, when you implemented X tool, something got messed up into this and the that, and it needs to be corrected in order for you to get back into shape. So know what a real problem looks like, wild swings in data or current performance being way worse than past performance, usually indicative of some sort of problem. Yeah. Should I jump right into sendability versus deliverability? 
Uh, yeah, feel, you know, feel free. Just a quick note on that if you want to. I like the word sendability. You said that a lot mm. of people are focused on deliverability, but nobody's thinking about sendability. What's the difference? Yeah. On a very basic level, sendability is can you send the emails? Can you get the number of emails sent that you want to? Is Google flagging you? Is Microsoft flagging you? Uh, when you increase over a certain number of emails, do bad things happen? We consider all that sendability. And the number one problem that we solve for our clients and and folks come to us for is, hey, we actually need to send more. I'm not talking about folks that are doing crazy, silly stuff. We're talking about, hey, all our reps are sending 200 emails a day. If we can get them to 250, 300, 400 without, you know, uh, a, a, a small explosion, we'd be very happy. Um, and that kind of distance needs to be overcome, usually with technical things, because just turning up the dial on your sales loft or your your uh, Apollo account can break. Things. Yes. Yep. And and I loved what you said about the 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 different pieces of the puzzle that salespeople don't always consider. You know, we are subject to multiple different things that impact the reputation of our domain. Uh, before we talk about the two types of reputation, because I loved what you said about that, I want to give it to Jed for just a minute, and I want you to talk about checklists because mm. frequency was something you already talked about, right? Being able to adjust that. But like, how do we go? How do we create a checklist that helps us to tick all the boxes and make sure that our sendability, deliverability, and of course our metrics are going to be what we expect, what our predictions are, what our hopeful outcomes are to be? Yeah, I would segment it into two buckets. I mean, depending on your role, of course, I assume there's no IT people on this call. So I assume that there's the one bucket of things within your control that you can immediately take action on. And then there's the things that are not within your control that you need, like, for example, technical support on. And a lot of those things, like it's all on Google. We talked about it, updating the DNS records. Um, potentially you need new domains and new email addresses. I saw somebody say like the cap for Apollo is 200 a day. Um, if you're an SDR and AE sending from your main email address, I would not go over 100 a day. In fact, I would stay more in the 50 to 75 range. Sure, if has a different opinion on that. Well, I, I mean, not the whole can of worms. We could, we could dig into that. I mean, we've been a friend under with sending. Join us next weekend for UFC 192, where Jed takes on Benny. No, but to, <laughs> but hold on. To Benny's point, though, I, I'm speaking from the SDR's perspective who, who can't yeah, sure. get, who, who has to just send with the domain that their, their company gave them, right? On their sales engagement yeah. tool. Um, and, and, and I, I guess I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well, but, um, back, back to like the checklist question you asked about that, James. Um, yeah, there's the immediate things you can take action on, which is improving your email copy. Like I would recommend doing that on a monthly basis, just continue to improve it. Um, it, you know, there's, it, uh, if you're just sending the same emails over and over and over again, and you're never updating it, um, that can get you flagged, that can cause some issues. So con consistently updating your email copy, removing spam words, removing unnecessarily links, using a warm-up tool. Those are all checklist items that fall within your control. And then there's the technical things, which we've kind of touched on, and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole on this call because obviously nobody can take action on that immediately, but those are things that you can go find and then work with your IT team. But I, the I, I, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. Go uh, well, the technical side is only one side of it. There's also the non-technical side, and that's that was one of my favorite pieces that you two discussed on that webinar you did a couple weeks back. Uh, so I'm going to give it to Benny here to break these two down so people can understand the technical side and the non-technical side of what reputation means in the form of cold email. Go for it, buddy. Sure. The technical side has to do with all the bits and bobs and pieces and all the ways that emails are already being used inside your organization and how those affect the deliverability. 
such as how is the health, the overall health of the domain? Is it being used by customer support in a way that maybe is hurting deliverability? Are they being used in marketing in a way? Does marketing not have a proper setup? Or is your founder secretly running their own mail shape to do investor outbound? And that's kind of hurting your deliverability. That's, that's a little, well, some of that's non-technical for sure, but technical side, it's what is the DNS setup? What is all the technicalities of the tool? What is the spacing between your emails and all that, the, the sort of stuff that is sometimes in your control, sometimes out of control, but also totally organization wide. Absolutely. Whether it's coming from the top and being dictated to you, or you're able to go into the settings and adjust these things, a conversation has to be happening about how this impacts the reputation on the, the reputation. technical side, right? Now, the non-technical side is a little bit out of our control, right, Benny? Well, the non-technical side can be out of your control. It sometimes weaves in with the technical. If you have a really hard market to sell to, you will have a harder time. Yeah. And everyone listening here knows when they have a hard market to sell to. A hard market to sell to might be, uh, hey, we're trying to sell a, a lending facility to people that have an abundance of places that they can lend, you know, borrow from. Or we sell into healthcare, and if we get one lead a month, we're happy. Well, that's a hard, that's a hard market. Yeah. Um. So the non-technical side, the um, and other elements of that are: Do you have a product that looks to be undifferentiated from the outside? In other words, uh, like imagine a recruiting firm, maybe they have a very unique process, but oh, recruiter, 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 wave it off to the side. Yeah. That seems undifferentiated. Now you very well may be differentiated and Jed can speak to the specifics of how you bring your differentiation into the emails or into the outreach in order to get your numbers where they need to be. Yeah. But uh, if your company doesn't have a strong reputation or doesn't have a reputation for looking like something that's interesting and exciting, that's going to hurt your email sending and ultimately hurt your email deliverability in the long run. Well, I mean, the man's company is called Practical Prospecting, so let's get practical. Right. Uh, Jed, Jed cool. reputation is so important for salespeople in the modern age, and our cold emails are essentially a digital representation of that, rep that, that reputation that we have. What strategies... And what's failed you, uh, you know, that works, that doesn't work, things that people can let go, things they should embrace when it comes to improving their deliverability while at the same time improving the health of their domain because of that messaging. Yeah. I mean, so I think we've talked a lot about technical things and things you can do outside of the actual email body to improve deliverability. In reality, that's probably one of the biggest things you can do to improve your deliverability is how you're going about doing your list building and your targeting. Um, so I think one thing that's kind of no longer works in my opinion, and it worked when I was uh, an SDR, is building a list that, like a building a big list based on like, let's say a couple different criteria, like industry, company size, and job title, and then just sending out that same template to everybody. I think now with all the different data tools we have available where you can get access to so much information about our prospects, it's actually much easier to build a big list based on a ton of different data points, even with Sales Navigator alone, to where you can build a very hyper-specific list where all the, the leads in that list fit a very specific criteria. So you can still write what looks like a very personalized email to several hundred prospects and still get away with your automations while still, you know, being relevant. And so I think the solution is a, like still high volume emails. I think that still works, but it's hyper segmenting and doing a really good job of utilizing all the different tools and data available to build very hyper segmented lists of a hundred to 500, maybe a thousand max 
prospects per list and doing your high volume email that way with, with extreme segmenting as opposed to one really big list based on a couple different criteria. And so I think we're going to continue to see that shift more and more and more where you have to continue to segment down um, even more, again, with all these different tools available to us. Great insights there, man. Join us next week, y'all, for intense extreme segmenting with Jed Marley. Uh, I'm just kidding. That's not a real show, but it probably should be, right? Oh, that was not good. I was like, really? That sounds cool. I thought it was dead, you both. That'd be dope. Benny, Benny, you threw a word out there when we were prepping for this that I thought was very interesting, and it was arbitrage. Um, Mm. When we talked about it, we got together, you said that this is something that people need to be aware of, what it means, what it does, what it means for us as front lines. Tell me about arbitrage and inform everybody, educate our our audience here. You know, I can't remember how, just how brilliant I came, but what the the most, what the juiciest insight was in that work, um, I can't... But do you remember the context a little bit more? You, you yeah, you said it was kind of stuck. something from one place well, sure. to another. Uh, and then you gave this example of we try harder, which is often said by number two. And it's a, it's like a double poke at number that's one, right? right? So that's right. I'd love yeah. to hear that so that people can understand sure. why this matters on the sure. delivery side. Arbitrage is a is a finance term. And if you immediately have just logged off and are going about your day now, that I said the word finance, that's fine. But arbitrage <laughs> is a very simple thing. It's, uh, um, you know, a, a Fender guitar might be worth $250 in Mexico City, but because of its rarity, it might instantly be worth $500 in San Diego. You've moved something from one place to another, and in the new context, it's way more valuable. Mm. But why, why is that important when you think about sales and you think about these things? You know your products that you're selling really well. The prospect doesn't know that. But you also know your market really well. There might be something buried in your product that seems so insignificant to the, even the people who built the product. They go, that? Well, that's just the thing. It doesn't really matter. But that might be the thing that when you bring it to the fore in your emails and your prospecting, it changes the game. Yeah. I think that I think we all fall into a sort of incremental feeling in the sales world where we're looking for steady state things that do okay. And hey, we've always gotten our 0.2% interest in a pirate and that's okay. But every day through the hundreds of, hundreds of companies that we either help or see doing email, we see people that absolutely crack the code on what is catnip for their target audience. And I can tell you, it's not really the, the main product features that are the thing. Oftentimes it's something else. I'll give you a very like, Quick example, um, there's, well, the, the classic example is Avis We Try Harder, which is a classic story from marketing. You can read about it in, in uh, books written a lot, but there was a number one company that did rental cars and a number two company, and the number two company decided to use the fact that they were number two to win. And the way they did this, we're not number one, we're not lazy sitting on the you know, top of the hill, we're number two, we need to try harder to get there. So it's taking a weakness, turning it into a strength, taking something that you were kind of ashamed about or something kind of hidden and bringing it to the front. So that's something I feel is really important because at the end of the day, deliverability and reputation, all these things really just are, are giant ratio game. Yeah. Um, and for able to get 5 to 10% interested reply rate, you rarely have an email deliverability problem. You might have a sendability problem, but you're not going to have an email deliverability problem the same way. I agree with you. I and I love this differentiator that you you have there between deliverability and sendability. There's so many things that we can change about our messaging that make it more 
sendable, right? And I, we need to pause, take a moment. I have a, yeah. uh, a better, I started reading my emails out loud sometimes mm. and being like, do I talk like this? Is this language that I use? And, and then, you know, you find these like magic words that you shouldn't be using and you start looking for them in your email and you're like, oh, sh- man, I use that word all the time and it's probably hurting me. Uh, Jed, you said that people should be changing their messaging and I want to be clear about what that means. But before you talk about it, I'm going to ask the question so that y'all can be honest. Uh, this is anonymous stuff here. Nobody's judging you. How often do you actually change your messaging? Jed, what should we be changing when we look at our messaging of old? What does it mean? Uh, when we change the phrasing of something, is there magic language that we should be adding? What does this mean for you? So I think it it serves two purposes, and 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 maybe ben, and uh, Betty actually brought up a good point about this on the pre-call show that he has people who are sending the same templates over and over thousands and thousands of times, and they don't run into issues. And so I could be wrong on this, but from my own experience, what I've seen is that when you're consistently updating your copy as opposed to keeping it the same, you're going to see your open rates, your reply rates incrementally go up over time. As opposed to if you just keep it the same and you never update it, maybe you update it every six months or whatnot, it'll start to go down and down and down. And so you're, you're changing it for two reasons. One, for deliverability, to show that you're changing up your messaging. You're not just sending the same email template every single time to every person. But also there's specific things within your email that you should focus on more than others. So most people, when they go about A-B testing, they like maybe they see a random idea on LinkedIn and they're like, oh, I want to try this. And they just test things kind of whimsically, right? Like just random things. Um, you have to think about A-B testing um, in terms of like what has the highest impact. Like call to actions, they're not going to have a huge impact on the reply rate of your email. But value proposition in that first line, those are big things that have a big impact on, you know, if your email is open and responded to. Yeah. And so it kind of goes back to what Benny was saying, which is like find that hidden gem in your product that, um, that, that people maybe weren't aware about, but is the big thing that gets people to respond. Yeah. And the way you do that, because I saw a good question from Rocky who asked, you know, how, to, how have we discovered these kind of hidden hidden gems in our product or service in the past? The way I would go about doing this, we've talked about this on previous shows, is if you're an SDR, go look at like the last 10 to 20 meetings you booked, document them and figure out what are all the common patterns. Like what happened six months before you booked that meeting in that organization? Did somebody new join? Did they grow? What are the patterns? What industry are they in? What job title? What sort of details can you find? Why were they interested? What problems did they have? If you're an AE, look at the last 10 deals you closed, look for those same exact patterns. And that'll help you, that kind of starts to illuminate some of the key areas that you can focus your messaging on. And there's another piece of this as well, because I'm sure most people listening to this call are in extremely competitive environments. If you sell in SaaS, it feels like every single day there's a new competitor. Um, mm-hmm. This is something I did at Mailshake, which is an email tool, is I wouldn't try to all of our competitors. I interviewed people who are using our competitors. I said, what are your least favorite things? What are your favorite things? And that really illuminated clear gaps that our competitors had and clear um, areas that we had. And there was small little things within our product that I was like, this seemed irrelevant before, but after talking to these people who use our competitors, it's actually really strong. And that improved my messaging. So yeah, I, yeah. I would say that one thing that, that, that SDRs, BDRs can do once a week, even tag along with an AE, sit on a call, don't say a word, you're not going to get in the way. But listen to all the things that a prospect is saying. A prospect, preferably one that you booked. Compare what they're saying on the call to what you cold emailed them. See if there's an overlap or see if they saw something in your product that you didn't see. That's one very clever way that that I've seen a lot of SDRs sort of just absolutely destroy their numbers by sort of just being like, hey, you know, find your favorite AE one that's not going to be bothered by that and ask them. 
The other thing I would say is widen out your mental definition of the product. Now you're like, what does that even mean? What I mean is when companies sign on with a company, they're signing on to every single product and feature that they get, not just the ones, not even the outcomes. Cause we've all experienced this and I've listened to past shows where people talk about how the end user might not be the person that's the buyer, for example. What that means is you might be selling just on the C-suite dashboard element of your product, even though the product doesn't do that. That might be enough to get interested replies. Visibility, for example. So you have to widen out your definition of the product. And the last thing is talk with marketing. What, ask marketing what the most exciting things that they're trying to do are and see if you could pull that into your sales process. Because oftentimes we're seeing SDRs and BDRs succeed wildly with a normal email that also says, oh, and if you're interested, we have a really cool podcast and maybe you'd be a good guest for it sometime. And then you start to see a lot more replies because people say, hey, that would be cool. I'd love to be a guest in your podcast or whatever it is. And marketing will love you. The prospects will love you. And at the end of the day, if your sales process can support it, which is a slightly different discussion. But if your sales process can support it, you can get a lot of interested replies by looking at what else is going on in your own company and using that in your prospecting. Well, it looks like a lot of folks agree that they should probably change their their uh, their messaging a little more. But I love the tips you're giving around being more present in the sales cycle, sitting in with an AE, comparing what you cold emailed them to, to what that conversation, the meat of that conversation was. Y'all, these are really great tips and these guys are experts in the field. So you want to make sure that you're taking notes and if you're not, it's okay because you're going to get the recording. It's 2024. Uh, let's talk a little bit about blacklists and blog sure. lists. Let me get a one in the chat. If you've ever thought or confirmed that you were on a blacklist or a block list somewhere uh, and y'all, no hate, right? I've been served with a cease and desist. So you're not going to like rub anybody the wrong way by saying, yeah, definitely I got blocked, right? <laughs> uh, Jed, uh, I want to start with you, uh, or no, Benny, right? Because, or no, Jed, you said educate your reps. And this is for the leaders in the room. W what, what do leaders need to do to educate their reps on deliverability, sendability, messaging that can help their domain, volume, et cetera? I think Benny said that, but I'll still take a stab at it either way. Um, I thought that was you, but maybe it was. I don't know. I could be wrong. It's been, uh, it's been a long couple of weeks. Um, but no, I think... I remember being an SDR and just thinking like, you know, I was one cog in the machine and I'm just going to blast out a thousand emails from sales locked. And if my open rates tank, oh, well, not my fault. Like I can't control this. Um, whatever. Like I, there's nothing I can do. Right. And so you don't really think about the bigger picture. And so I think educating your reps and saying one thing to say is that if we're all sending from the same domain, we're all sharing a reputation. Um, and also getting them to understand that these problems do exist and they are getting worse. And the things we talked about in today's shows are things they can do to improve them. So that's what at least my take on actually educating reps in your team is. I can appreciate that. I uh, love that. Benny, talk to me about the rules, breaking things and this invisible forehand. You got, you got like two minutes because we have great questions and I want to make sure we answer a few. <laughs> oh, I love everyone's questions. So here's the thing. There's a very big difference between the rules, the actual rules of email and you need to do the best you can with what you what you have available to you. There's really no rules. We pushed emails past 6,000 emails per day on Apollo without any issue. We tend to 
do them around 800 per day. But that rule, that number does not apply to you. You might be like, what do you mean? If, if this dude with curly hair says that 800 a day is possible, it doesn't mean it's possible for you. You might be sending via Microsoft. You might be sending via Google. You don't have the kinds of technical setups that we have. So there's going to be a happy place for you. It has a lot to do with the age of your domain, has to do with other things. Somewhere probably between 15, 200 emails a day is a, a relatively healthy place, but there actually are no rules with email. And that's why it's such a wild place. Yeah. It's like that's the wild west end. out here. <laughs> well, and because of the wildness, that's why you see the rules changing so quickly. Yeah. I mean, James and I and Jed per perhaps remember when LinkedIn was a wild west. You could do an unlimited number of outbounds on LinkedIn without anything. And then, you know, things start to clamp down. Email still is totally wild in, in many ways. We're seeing changes and we're seeing clampdowns in certain ways. But the reason why I say that is there are people that send hundreds of thousands of emails and millions of emails a day without issue. You might not be one of those companies, but you can always be improving your open rates, deliverability, overall, uh, making sure you're not doing anything that is coming off as spammy or things like that, which will help. But there really are no rules with the email. And I think that the, that's sort of the fun of it. Yeah, somebody asked what spammy words were. I was just talking to Beck Holland last night about this. And for words like free, discount, these are spammy Envy, words. Yeah. yeah, it depends on your industry and your you know who you're sending. But uh, we got some great questions here. If you want more words, let me know or reach out to lots of people. They, there's so many different resources out there for spammy words. You can just Google it, right? Uh, okay, this yep. question comes from Ned. And I want to point this one at Benny. Our small team is a Google workspace for corporate yeah. email, and yeah. we automatically got whitelisted by Google. Do we still need to worry about tech compliance? Yes or no? Um, I don't believe there's an automatically whitelisted by Google unless there's a very, very specific case. Okay. There's, um, it's, email's extremely complicated. The thing that Google's trying to protect people from is people breaking, one of the things is people breaking into your email and using your email for spamming. That's the reason why there really isn't wholesale white list, white listing at all. Mm. Um, if you want to, if you sort of like, I don't believe you, Benny, like there's a magic trick here. Um, political candidates, presidential candidates have appealed to Congress to try to get Congress to force Google to white list their political emails. So if there really was a magical switch, it's possible that more and more powerful people would be having them flick the switch. As far as I know, that did not happen. Yeah. So Google did not decide through congressional action or whatever that they would have to whitelist certain folks. So you still have to be on guard. You still have to be very careful with these things. Be on guard. Be Protect yourself. That's the the message right there, yo. Uh, okay, this one goes to this one goes to Jed. One by one versus sequences are both still okay? He says, I get a lot out with templates in Apollo. Uh, what's your thoughts? One to one versus sequences? Yeah, both are good. And I think this question came up when I made the comment about having delays in between your sends. And so I, I do want to clarify that the, the idea, like there's nothing wrong with sending email, emails one by one. There's nothing wrong with sending emails via sequence. But like one thing I made the mistake on when I was sending via sales loft years ago is I just had it set to where I have a hundred emails back to go out every day and they all send at once. And so what I'm recommending is having a delay. So you can usually do this in settings. It's really easy to find on whatever sales engagement tool so that let's say you want to send a hundred emails a day. I recommend spreading that out across the whole day, which is going to be like 13 minutes between each send. And that's going to look more natural, more like a human sending uh, pattern. 
So yeah, both are fine, but just keep that delay if you're doing sequences. I, that that three word combo is great. Human sending pattern. If y'all just keep that in mind, you're going to find great results. Okay, we are going to drop. Benny's and Jed's LinkedIn's in the chat. You guys need to go connect with these experts and learn more from them. They put out great content that'll help you to deliver better. Uh, also, connect with us on social. We've never met strangers, just friends we haven't met yet. So reach out to us and ask us questions. We will engage with you. I am probably the most responsive human that you will ever meet. You can connect with me directly at Say What Sales on almost every platform known to man. And of course, Jed and Benny, thank you so much for coming out and sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, we always appreciate our guests. It's a new year. It's a new you, y'all. We are going to make the magic happen consistently every day through 2024. Be sure and sign up for the Sell Better Daily Sales Shows that are relevant to you. You're going to get a survey after this to let us know how we did, what we can do better, the things that you liked about this show. And of course, we will see you next time on another stellar episode of Sell Better. We're in your corner, y'all. You got this.